You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number three in our series called Redeemed. Everybody say redeemed. So we're going to uh, take a look at our foundation scripture. It's found there and on your notes, and it'll be on the screen for you, but it's found in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And Paul writing said this, he said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Aren't you glad to be qualified? He's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's already delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, the old King James says, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Say this after me. Say, I have redemption. It's already mine. I have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I want to encourage you, if you've missed the previous two parts to this series, then uh, you can go to our website at springhill.cc and you can listen to those messages and get caught up. But Because uh, we're building and we're building towards Resurrection Day. Now I know that uh, Resurrection Day, Easter, is April the 9th this year, but how many of you know for us as believers, it's every day? Aren't you glad Jesus got up? Amen. But uh, I'm going to just talk to you a little bit today. And as I said, I'm going to be a little technical in the sense of I'm going to just describe for you a little bit. There is, uh, in theological circles, a, a phrase that you may have may not heard before, but it's called the Pauline Revelation. And, uh, and in turn, because of the Pauline revelation, there are Pauline doctrines. And, and this is, of course, referring to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he got saved on the road to Damascus, and then God used him mightily, and he ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But there are some things that the, the Holy Spirit ministered to Paul that we find in the New Testament that really aren't covered. They really weren't covered by the Lord Jesus, even in his in the Gospels, in his teachings, because, uh, of course, we all know that he was going to the cross. And, of course, Paul wrote his letters to the churches after the cross and after the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit ministered some things to him. So, to be fancy, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the revelation that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul about the work of what Jesus did in our redemption. Now, redemption was something, uh, you won't find that word used a whole lot in the uh, Gospels, in the four Gospels, in the teachings of Jesus. So this was something that uh, is more emphasized during Paul's ministry and the letters that he wrote to the churches. And so we're going to dive into this. Now, there's three doctrinal terms. Now, you guys are going to be theologians when you leave here today. All right, aren't you glad? Aren't you excited about that? <laughs> All right, so there's three doctrinal terms that you need to know and understand. Now, you don't necessarily need to know the specifics of it in the sense of 
like I'm going to test you on it, but you need to know these truths in your heart, these principles, okay? So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first term that we're going to look at, and it's called the incarnation. Incarnation. All right? So incarnation simply means this, that God became man in and through the Lord Jesus. Uh, the, the fancy way of saying it is that Jesus is and was God incarnate. God came in the flesh. Now, I know that's hard for us to wrap our, our, our brains around, but some things, you know, in the Bible, you just kind of have to take by faith and know that maybe as time progresses or we get to heaven, we'll fully understand it. But God was the only one that was qualified to pay the price for man's sin. And so because of that, God couldn't pay that price as God. He had to become a man. And so let's look at some scriptures that back this up. We're going to look at, at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1, and then verse 14. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what this verse, verse 1 says this, that God was in the beginning, the Word was in the beginning, and the Word and God are the same. They are the same person. Now, we do believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but the Word of God is and was part of God just as much as the Holy Spirit is and was part of God. Okay, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then jump down to verse 14 there in the Gospel of John. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know him as Jesus, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word has always been, you know, Jesus was not, did not come into existence on Christmas morning. You do understand that, right? Jesus is eternal. He has always been and ever shall be, but he became flesh. He took on the the flesh of a human being, and came into the earth, and so he became God incarnate. Now let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says this, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, implying that the Son existed before he was born, and it says that he sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born unto the law, under the law, rather, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what is very important in this particular doctrinal term of incarnation is it is difficult for you to believe that the full price for your salvation is paid unless you fully know God paid the price. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a prophet. He was not just somebody that God raised up. No, he was God himself fully manifested in the Son in that he was born into the earth, born of a virgin. All right? Now, this is very, very important because in order for salvation to be paid for, someone equal with God and equal with man 
had to pay the price. And that's exactly who and what Jesus is and was. Jesus is and was 100% man, but he was 100% God at the same time. Now, let me qualify or, or amend that by saying, please understand that when Jesus came into the earth in his ministry, when he began to walk in his ministry at 30 years old, he set aside everything that made him divine and he functioned and ministered as a man that was anointed by God. So when you see the things that Jesus did in the earth, the miracles that he performed, the, the, the things, the wonderful things that he did to minister to people, he did not do that as God per se. He did it as a man anointed by God. But when it came time for him to die on the cross, he was still God's 100% representative, but he was man's 100% representative at the same time. Now, again, this is one of those things that sometimes you just kind of have to take by faith. I read a, a book that said this, also being de deity and humanity united as a man, he could assume the obligation that Adam committed high, when Adam committed high treason. In other words, as a man, God could pay that price and satisfy and pay the penalty. So satisfying the claims of justice so that the human race could be freed from the authority of Satan and then in turn given the right to become sons of God. Now I know that's a lot, that's a mouthful, but uh, what you need to understand is that God became flesh incarnate and manifested himself as the Lord Jesus Christ who was 100% man so that he could die on the cross for us and pay the price for us. Okay, are you with me so far? All right, so let's look at the next doctrinal term that you need to understand, and that is this, substitution. Everybody say substitution. All right, so what is substitution? Well, substitution is this, that Jesus through his death, <clears throat> pardon me, did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took our place. Aren't you glad? Yes. You know, I, I'm glad our salvation is more than just escaping hell, but I'm so glad that Jesus paid that price. He became our substitute so that you and I, when we receive Christ, we don't have to endure or experience that. We can be saved. We can be born again. All right? So Jesus, through his death, did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He took our place. So let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. And I'm reading to you from the uh, Passion Translation because I really, really like the way that it articulates it. But it says this, God, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly, now I don't know if you're ready for the last part of this verse. We, you know, we, we, we somewhat have an easy time accepting the highlighted part of that verse that I made yellow for you in the sense that God freely offered him up 
as the sacrifice for us all. But are you ready for this last part? He certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. In other words, if God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that John 3, 16 says, then what, what this verse says is that if he was willing to pay it all, you do understand he gave everything he had to give in the Lord Jesus. So if that's true, then why would he withhold anything else from us? Hallelujah. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. It says this, For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless weak, and powerless to save themselves. You know, I, I, we ought to live good lives. We ought to do and, and follow what the Bible tells us to do and how we ought to live our lives. But no matter how good you are, how righteous you act, how many times you come to church, how many times you read the Bible, how many times you pray, none of that can save you. We do all those things because we are saved. But none of those things could save us. We needed a Savior because as this verse says, we were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless. You want to, you know, just if you don't believe that, look around you. You see a world today that is demonstrating every bit of that. They are helpless, they're entirely weak, and they are powerless to save themselves. And so they're floundering around trying to figure it out the best that they possibly can when all they need is a Savior. And of course, our job is to tell them that truth, but the fact of the matter is that God demonstrated his love for us when we couldn't save ourselves. So I wanted to give these two little truths to you. These aren't in your notes. These are free. These won't cost you anything, but look at this with me. Jesus became our substitute to pay the price of our sin, thus taking upon himself all we had to offer. You know, there's a a phrase that you might hear in, in Christian circles called the great exchange, which is really what Jesus did. You know, all we had to offer him was death, Sin, you know, like that previous verse said, being helpless, lost, without him. And so what he did when he became our substitute, he took all of that that we had to offer on himself. He took our sin, he took our shame, he took our sickness, our pain, our worries, our anxieties, all of that he took upon himself because that's all we had to offer him. But, That's not where he leaves it. But in our substitution in the resurrection, now this is where substitution is really cool. In our substitution in his resurrection, we in turn can receive on us all he has to offer. I don't think you got that. See, when he died on the cross, he took all we could give him. But when he was raised from the dead, he made it available for us to be able to take into our lives everything he has to offer. And I'm so glad he has a whole lot more to offer than you and I ever could offer him. Praise God. All right. Can you say thank you, Jesus? 
<clears throat> okay, so let's look at this third term, and it is this. It's the word identification. Everybody say identification. So we have incarnation where Jesus was God made flesh. We have substitution where he became our substitute. He paid the price for us. But then there's a term, this term called identification, and it is where you and I are identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, as we celebrate the price that Jesus paid for us in a few weeks where we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, I want you to understand that, yes, he did it for you. Yes, he took your place and my place. But in God's heart and mind, spiritually speaking, and by the way, in Satan's belief and mind, you were on the cross with him, you died with him, and you were raised from the dead with him. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Okay, I, I, I can tell that really excites you. Maybe it's just sinking in, okay? Now, here's the thing that you need to understand about identification, and this is re the reason identification was necessary. See, identification is two parts. Because, and, and you know, again, if you've been around church for any time at all, you've probably heard of a guy named Adam who was in the Bible in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, and so forth. And uh, he was a perfect being. He was created in the image of God. He walked and talked with God every day. But he messed up. He sinned, okay? And because he sinned, and he and you and me, we are all in the same class of being, and so therefore, because of his sin, our identification was with him, all right? Let me, let me show you a verse, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, again from the Passion Translation. It said this, when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered the human experience and death was the result. So prior to Adam's sin, death did not exist. But because of his sin, death was introduced and brought into the world. And so, the verse says, and so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. Now, again, this is basic, basic, but you need to understand this, okay? Because I know people will say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I deserve to go to heaven, all right? Well, guess what? Unfortunately, because you were born into the human race, uh, Adam's sin caused sin and death to be passed over and onto every human being that was born after him. Now, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way that it is because he opened the door for sin and death to come into the earth. And therefore, because we were born, naturally speaking, we were then available to that same sin and death. So it doesn't matter how good a person you are, you are still a sinner and still spiritually dead. 
Are you tracking with me? Okay. So, and all because of Adam's sin. Now, the other part of that identification is this. There was, the Bible says, Paul wrote and he said this, there was a second Adam that showed up. His name is Jesus. And thank God he did not sin. He lived a spotless, perfect life before God. And, and then, as we've already talked about, he became our substitute so that you and I could be bought out of that sin and death and be born again and live with and for him for eternity. So that's the other part of our identification. Formally, you identified with Adam. But as a Christian, as a born-again believer, you're now identified with Christ. Okay? Let me say that one more time. As a human being born into the planet, your identification was with Adam. <clears throat> Pardon me. But as a born-again believer, your identification is now with Jesus Christ. Okay? So, we need to identify with Jesus. Now, some people um, emphasize this, and I hope you understand what I'm getting ready to say. We need to not only identify with Jesus' death on the cross, but Jesus isn't still hanging on a cross. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that's the place that he shed his blood, that he bore the price for you and for me. But thank God also he is not still hanging on that cross. And there are whole religions that are based on an image of Jesus still hanging on that cross. And again, I'm thankful that he did it, but he is not still there. So we have to be mindful that we preach the cross, but we don't preach it as though Jesus is still there. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, but on the third day, he got up. He was resurrected and raised from the dead. So instead of having a, and, and, and I'm not picking or being critical when I say this, but instead of having an image of Jesus on the cross on our altars, what we ought to have is an empty cross and an open tomb. Because I'm so glad that you and I, we don't serve a Savior that's buried somewhere in Jerusalem. No, we, if you go visit his grave today, it's empty. <laughs> Hallelujah. And because of that, because of his glorious resurrection, that is the key to new life for you and for me. Again, we're thankful for the cross, but I'm also grateful that he rose from the dead. And because of that, we have newness of life, the Bible says. So what I want to do is I want to give you six steps of identification with Jesus today. All right, six steps to identification, uh, to our identification with Jesus. Now, I'm going to cover all six of these today. We ought to be done by about 3.30. And so, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Somebody said, mm-hmm, I'll be out by, <laughs> okay. But anyway, all right, so let's look at these six steps. The six steps to our identification 
with Jesus. Here's number one, and this is what you need to believe, all right? And you know me, I'm very practical. I'm going to show you what you need to believe. So number one is this. You need to believe I was crucified with Christ. So what does that mean? That means when they nailed him to that rugged cross, when they drove those nails in his hands and in his feet, it was the same in the heart and the mind of God that it was me and that it was you lying on that cross when they drove those nails in. This is what is so crucial to our faith and what we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. So let's look at some scriptures. Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He, he says it very plainly. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, can I say this? If you deal, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't have anybody in mind when I say this. If you deal with persistent sin in your life, I will say to you, one of the reasons that you do is you don't fully understand that you were crucified with Christ. And you'll see more about that in just a moment. Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Say that. Say Christ lives in me. Paul goes on to say, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul is telling us, and this is part of the Pauline revelation that I was talking to you about earlier. Paul got a supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit to where he saw himself. Now, Paul was not there when Christ was crucified. Now, I'm sure he talked to Peter and John and some of the other disciples and heard the vivid description of what they saw that day. But the revelation came when Paul identified with Jesus in the sense that I was crucified with him. When those soldiers stood at the foot of the cross and mocked Jesus and, and tormented him, they were mocking and tormenting you. When that crown of thorns was placed upon Jesus' head, that crown of thorns was placed upon your head. When the bleeding took place and Jesus was bleeding on the cross, it was you and me that were there with him. Okay? So that is a huge thing. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Again, in the Passion Translation said this, Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power. See, what Paul is telling you is that as a believer, as a, as a Christian, as a born-again believer, you do no longer identify with Adam, and therefore the power that Adam's identity had over you is gone. So he says this, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? And I love the way the Passion says this, for we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us 
so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sin no longer has power over the born again believer. But somebody says, well, pastor, why is it that I still sin? Because you yield to a power that's trying to remain in your life. And what you and I have to do is deny sin that power and say, no, that's not me. That guy died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. All right, so you were crucified with Christ. Say that. Say, I was crucified with Christ. Okay, here's number two. Now, not only were you crucified, but you died with Christ. Now, somebody says, Pastor, I don't understand this. I wasn't even alive back then. I know, but spiritually speaking, and in the heart and the mind of God, you died with Jesus when he died on the cross. So when Jesus breathed his last on the cross and he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the Bible says that he cried out one more time and then he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, you died with him. Now, can I say this? Salvation has no power unless someone died. <laughs> In other words, there is no new life unless the old life died. And you died with him. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, the first part of that verse in the Amplified Bible says this, For we have, if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his. So listen, maybe the reason that some of those religions have Jesus still hanging on a cross is, and I'm trying to help them, but maybe it's, it's so that when they look at it, they can see that was me. Jesus did that with me. I, 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 co, I was co-crucified with him and I died with him. Romans chapter six and verse eight, same chapter says this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. I'm going to say this to you. You will not spend an eternity in heaven unless you died with Christ. Okay? So you need to understand that not only was I crucified with Jesus, I died with Jesus. And therefore, sin no longer has any power over me. Here's number three. So what do you do with a dead person? You bury them. So here's number three. I was buried with Christ. Now, Jesus died physically on the cross, but because of your sin and my sin and no sin of his own, he died spiritually. Now, somebody says, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because you need to understand the definition of spiritual death is this, separation from God. And here you have Jesus, who was God, was the Word. We read that earlier, who came to the earth. 
He lived and, and moved as a man anointed by God, but when he was on the cross and the fullness of my sin and your sin came upon him, for the first time in his eternal existence, he experienced separation from God. That's why he cried out, God, why have you turned your back on me? That's what he was saying. And it was because he experienced for the first time what it was like to be separated from, from God. In other words, he experienced for the first time what you and I live like until we're born again. Look at Galatians, or excuse me, Colossians. No, let's back up. We're still on buried. <laughs> I'm sorry. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, again, sharing in, the de in his death, by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. Now, Paul uses this phrase baptism here, but he's not necessarily referring to water baptism. There are multiple baptisms in the New Testament. There is the baptism that you and I know where one is immersed in water, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We are a Pentecostal church, so you might have heard the phrase that one gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. But there is another baptism that happens when you identify with Christ. Spiritually speaking, you were dead, buried, and we'll talk about in just a moment, you were raised up with him. Okay, so this is the baptism that Paul is talking about here. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. So when Jesus died on that cross, you died with him. But when they took his body down and they buried him in Joseph's borrowed tomb, you were buried with him. Okay, now... Um, just to emphasize this and what I was referring to as far as baptism is concerned. Now, we do believe in water baptism here. And, but here's the thing. You don't experience what I'm talking about now as a result of water baptism. You get water baptized because you experience this already and you identify with it. Baptism does not save you it gets you wet. I'm not taking anything from that, but what I'm saying to you is this. You get baptized because I understand and I identify and I have a revelation that I died, was buried, and raised up with Christ. And therefore, I get water baptized. Okay? All right, here's number four. I was made alive with Christ. So you died with Jesus, you were crucified with him, you were dead with him, you were buried with him, but you were made alive with Christ. Now, somebody says, I know he was resurrected. No, 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 no. Jesus was made alive before he was resurrected. <laughs> okay, some of you are looking at me like I just fell off the truck. Okay, let me help you understand, okay? Jesus was spiritually dead. Now, what happens to someone who is spiritually dead and separated from God when they die? What happens? 
Somebody tell me. Say it, say it boldly. It's not, it, they go to hell. It's a spiritual fact, okay? If someone leaves this planet and dies, their body ceases to function, and they have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, unfortunately, they step over into an eternity with, in hell. Now, that's absolutely outside of the will, plan, and purpose of God, but God will respect your right to choose and will let you go. He doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. All right, so that being said, when Jesus died on the cross and was dead spiritually, then it is required by spiritual law that that person go and spend eternity in hell, which Jesus did. Now, there are some who, would, who want to argue that Jesus did not go to hell. I didn't take the time or the space, uh, but there are many scriptures that refer to Jesus going to hell. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, but he that ascended was he that first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So Jesus died spiritually along with physically and then was in hell. And again, I've often said this, I can't wait to get to heaven because one of the questions I'm going to ask God is, what is the significance of the third day? Because you know God doesn't do random. You know, he didn't go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I'm going to have him resurrected on this day. No, there is, there is a reason to why it was on the third day. But we know that when Jesus was experiencing this, and you've got to understand, Satan thought he had won. He thought he had defeated God <clears throat> once and for all. This, this fallen angel that had rebelled against God in eternity past and got kicked out of heaven thought he for once had defeated the creator of the universe, that the almighty God had to bow his knee to him. Oh, but little did he know that the plan had already been carried out and Satan's trap had already been sprung. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter one, again, I, if you want to just make a note of it and read it later on, <clears throat> the scripture says, Paul wrote in Hebrews one, he said, and again, when he brought the first begotten from the dead. He said something. Now, track with me for just a second. I know I don't have this on the screen for you, but track with me. Somebody tell me what John 3, 16 says. For God so loved the world that he, his, wait, 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 wait. His what? Only begotten son. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, again, when he brought the first begotten into the world. See, something happened and Jesus transitioned from being the only begotten son of God to being the first begotten son of God. Now, begotten just means born, okay? So what does that mean? Well, if there is a first begotten, there's a second begotten and a third begotten and a third begotten and fourth begotten and 500th begotten. And we know on the day of Pentecost that there were 3,120 begottens. 
And you're somewhere in that line, whatever your number is, you are a begotten two. Jesus was just the first one. And so when God raised him from the, this sounds like an Easter message, but it's not yet. All right, so when God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that he spoke and he said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And he said some other things. But what you have to understand, Jesus was in the pit of hell experiencing the torment that all of hell could lay upon him. But all of a sudden, in the middle of all that darkness, the light of God's word permeated deep and in, down into the caverns. And all of a sudden, it caused life to be born into this once dead man named Jesus. And Jesus was born again, spiritually. And the Bible says that when he, that happened, that he defeated the powers of darkness. Colossians says he made a show of them openly. He embarrassed them. And then the Bible says he walked over and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan himself and then he preached to the multitude. Oh, I don't have time to get into all this. But he preached to the multitudes that were in paradise about himself, got them all saved, and then on their way up, he stopped for a little bit at the tomb and spent a couple of days talking to his disciples. And then the rest of them were caught up into heaven. Oh, somebody said, this sounds too crazy. Too far-fetched. It's in your Bible. Matter of fact, you know, we gloss over this, but in Matthew's gospel, when it talks about the resurrection, it makes reference to when Jesus was raised from the dead, there was so much power in his resurrection that some of the Old Testament saints got raised up with him and walked around in town. How'd you like to be minding your own business in Jerusalem? You don't really have a clue as to what happened at the cross a couple of days earlier. And you're walking around town and Uncle Fred shows up. And Uncle Fred starts telling you about Jesus. And you're like, I went to Uncle Fred's funeral 10 years ago. It happened. And then the Bible says that he took them all and they went up to heaven. And he took his own blood, the Bible says, and went into the heavenly holy of holies in heaven and sprinkled the heavenly utensils with his own blood, purifying them and making the way so that you and I would have free access into the throne room of a holy, awesome God of the universe and could be able to say, Father. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm getting wound up. All right, let's look. <laughs> you were made alive with Christ. Say, I was made alive. But Jesus was made alive before he was resurrected, all right? Look at Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So at the same time that that word permeated and Jesus was made alive again, the, it, it, as far as God was concerned, you were made alive with him. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's number five. It says this, the Bible teaches, and these are all part of your identification. You need to know these things. I was raised with Christ. When he got up, I got up. When he walked out of that tomb, I walked out of that tomb. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 in the Passion. It says this, He raised us up with Christ the exalted one. See, and, and in your mind, you've got to see yourself as when Jesus walked out of that tomb, I walked out with him. And the scripture says, we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. See, this is why I keep saying, and this is why, again, this is hard for us to wrap our carnal natural brains around, but the fact is, you are already a citizen of heaven, although you live and function here in the earth. Why? Because Jesus took you there. <laughs> he raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 in the Passion. It says this, this, quote, realm of death, end quote, describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, We've been resurrected. Notice it doesn't say we shall be. We have already been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. Um, I'm going to just say this in passing, okay? As a believer, don't, ever fear death. Death no longer has any power over you. Okay? What does that mean? It, it means this, that when it comes time for you to step over into eternity and you lay this body down, as a believer, it's going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. There will not be any torment. There will not be, uh, you know, any spiritual agony that goes with it. You know, God forbid, but if it's something going on in your body, yes, you'll, sep you'll lay that body down, but there won't be any torment. It'll be nothing but peace, and it'll be as simple as you taking your coat off and laying it down and walking away from it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says this, sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have, and I love to, again, the way the Passion says this, we have been co-resurrected. So you were co-crucified, co-dead, co-buried, and now you're co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. 
Now, here's the last part of your identification as we wrap this up, okay? So you need to understand all of these steps, and you need to identify with all of them. But here's number six. I was seated with Christ. I was seated with Christ. What does that mean, Pastor? Okay, well, let's let the Bible speak for itself. You were seated with him. So you've been resurrected, you've been raised up, and now you're seated. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says this, He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now, not going to be, now. Everybody say now. now. We are now co-seated as one with Christ. Now, I, uh, I wanted to add some verses here so that you will get the full depth of what it means to be co-seated with Christ. Can I say this to you, and, and I'm, I'm including me with this. Um, I believe that as Christians, as believers, there are some things that we tolerate in our lives that we don't have to tolerate. We just take it for granted. Well, you know, I'm here in the earth. I'm, I'm just biding my time until I go home to be with the Lord or Jesus comes back first. And so I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to hang on by the hair of my chinny chin chin and just live for the Lord. You know, there's Christians that really believe that and that's the way they live. But one who died with Christ, was buried with him, was raised up with him and is seated with him lives differently. Okay? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, again from the Passion Bible. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the believers, the Christians at Ephesus, which I encourage you to pray for yourself. You can do that. You can take a prayer that was in the Bible. Somebody says, I don't know if I believe that. Well, do you ever quote the Lord's Prayer? Yes, well, you can do it then. You can do it with Paul's prayer too, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. I pray, Paul pray, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised him from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. Now, I don't believe there's anybody with any sense whatsoever that would deny that Jesus is in a supreme place of authority. Okay? I don't, I don't believe there's anybody that would argue with that. What does that mean, to be in a, a supreme place of authority? Well, that means that nothing else is higher or more, has more authority than you do, being Jesus. All right? So 
that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest place, or the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, every authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. For he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, say we, turn to somebody close by and say, he's getting ready to say something about you. Okay. And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. Okay, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, when, when Connie walked in here today, I didn't say, hey, Connie's head and Connie's body. I didn't say, hey, Connie's head, how about a hug today? No. When Connie walked in, I said, here's Connie. Gave her a hug. Same thing with you. In other words, there is no separation between your head and your body. So if your head has complete and total authority, then your body has complete and total authority. On down to the little toenail on your little pinky toe. Okay? So what does this mean? It means that in Christ, you and I, as part of his body, have been given complete and total authority in him. So if that's true, is that true? That's what we just read. Do you believe the Bible? Okay, if that is true, then why do we tolerate some of the stuff that the devil tries to pull out and over in our lives? Because we either did not fully identify with Christ or we don't know or we don't care. I don't believe that's any of y'all. All right, so let me just back up you know, understanding all of this complete authority that you have in Christ. Let's back up to Ephesians 2, 6 again. Look at this. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Is... Um, is cancer under Jesus' feet? Yeah. Guess what? Cancer's under your foot. Is poverty under Jesus' feet? Yes. yes. Then it's under your foot. 
is are our relationship problems and schism and division and all that comes along, strife and all of that, is that under Jesus' feet? Yes, yes it is. Then guess what? It's under your feet too. There are things that we just simply do not have to tolerate any longer. Jesus, and this is the last thing I'm going to say before we pray, Jesus is waiting for us in his name to walk out and take what legally is ours and in his name put every enemy of ours under our feet so that we can begin to reign with him. Well, praise the Lord. Say this after me. Say, in Jesus, I am alive, resurrected, I'm co-seated and I reign with him in Jesus' name. If it's under his feet, it's under my feet. I have authority in Jesus' name because I am seated with him. I was raised up with him. I'm not going to be seated in him. I'm already seated in him. Therefore, I have authority now in the earth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.